Morning, church. My privilege to be with you again this week and to open up God's word to us. Our worship continues. We move from singing songs to God and about God to listening to God for our lives. For those of you that are visiting today and you'd say, I don't know if I follow God in my life. Well, you just listen and see if it isn't convincing. And if it is, even at the end, there'll be an opportunity if there's anyone here who wants to come to know Jesus Christ personally, nothing we'd rather do than help you with that. All right, um, I'm Lon Allison, and I have the privilege of being up here this morning. Um, I'm supposed to say this, the book that I did on Billy Graham, my last signing of it is today, so if you want it signed, I'll be out by the... um, um, bookstore right afterwards and would love to meet you and sign. I've been so pleased because uh, the book's doing really well nationally and nothing could mean more to me because at least six times I tell people how to come to know Jesus Christ in that book. And so I consider it the most important thing I've ever written. Let him, yeah, thanks. Um, And I can go to heaven after this one. I probably will. uh, but, but my dream is that, that many will come to know Jesus. As they read about Mr. Graham's life, they'll be more drawn to Jesus than to Mr. Graham. And that's his prayers as well. All right. Okay, here we go. I'm talking on singleness today. And uh, I'm glad I got this one. I, had, I did marriage last week. Rob did marriage the week before that. And today we, we kind of camp on the whole thing of singleness. And I'll tell you why because it's an incredibly blessed and important station of life according to Jesus Christ and the writings of the New Testament. So I hope to expose all of that. Some people who are single really kind of love being single. We have a, uh, uh, a, a, a podcast now in our church and we call it 5027 West. And a couple of weeks ago, our own Michelle Hogan was on and I hear it's even more popular than when I was on the podcast which kind of troubles me Uh, but she she defines herself as happily single enjoys it in her life this station of life that she has Uh, another friend told me that uh, she made a mistake and she said to her grown adult daughter when are you going to get married and the daughter responded something like this married Mom, I have such a full and meaningful career. I can own my own property. I can make my own decisions. 5,000 years women weren't allowed to do this. Why would you take it away from me? I like this. And the mother said, well, I just wanted to know when you're getting married. Some people, it's, it's an estate they choose and they enjoy. For some, it's actually a gift. You'll, know, you'll hear today it's a spiritual gift. Others, it's extremely difficult uh, to be single. And I've had many friends in this category. And sometimes uh, they'll say things, and it's uh, like this. It's just, I can't tell you, Lon, how hard it is to have to take care of everything in my life by myself. That is, that's very, very hard. And then sometimes it's hard when single adults, and incidentally, 25% of our adult population in our church are single adults. Sometimes it's hard for them to come to a church 
because it seems at least like the church is so nuclear family oriented. Hard to find authentic community, someone said, when most members of the church are married and family occupied. Yeah, I get it. I don't know which side you fall on, the, the pro side or the con side, or probably most of you that are single kind of vacillate one to the other. Wherever you are today, I, I pray that this can be helpful for you. Uh, the Bible has a lot to say about it. And in Bible times, when the Bible was written, very clearly, singleness was a secondary state. And partly that's because it really required marriage for most families to be able to survive economically. In agrarian cultures, it took both the man and the woman working constantly, and as soon as the children were old enough to do anything, they would be brought into the economic system as well. It, it's what was required to make it. It's Genesis 2 and 3 that, that, he, that, that, that Adam actually needed a counterpart, a companion counterpart to help him to be able to name all the animals and, and run the garden, et cetera, et cetera. So, so it was more, in ancient times, a matter of existence to be married. But I would say, in our culture today, it's, it's the same in this sense, that singleness is generally considered to be a secondary state. And it's partially because we've got this weird thing going on about romantic love. A late renaissance, late enlightenment notion is that, that marriage happens because I'm in heaven, I get carried away, I think of her and me, and how it's, and, and life is only happy when you're sizzling with romance. Uh, that's a relatively late development in humankind. And we've put so much to deal on it. We've put so much on the back of romantic attraction as the primary reason for marriage. It can't bear it. Even though Cinderella says it's true, Snow White said it was true, someday my prince will come. Uh, Beauty and the Beast, on and on it goes, this notion of romantic love as the primary reason for existence, and you find it through marriage, and that's what you want to do. Tremendous weight to throw upon it. Most of us who have been married for a while would say, while attraction initially drew us to our spouse, we would really argue that affection it's got a lot more long-lasting value. Affection and the, and the Greek word agape, which means self-giving love. That's what holds the marriage together. So in some ways, in ancient times and in our present times, singleness is considered a secondary state. But as we find in the Bible over and over again, the Bible will throw us 180s. You know what that means? It means you thought something was this way, and the Bible says it's, it's exactly the opposite. Try this one. Love your enemies. Yeah, neighbor, that's fine. Good guy. Jesus said, no, 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 no. Love those you hate the most. 
Huh? How about this one? Only when you forgive are you set free. They don't deserve my forgiveness. Well, then stay in slavery. To your own emotions. Forgiveness brings freedom. How about this one? Give away as much as you possibly can to anyone else in need. Huh? Singleness is as good as marriage and ordained by God. Yep, it is. One of God's 180s. Now, if you wonder about this, think of two sterling examples from the New Testament. How about Jesus? Jesus chose singleness. Jesus was perfect. Therefore, Jesus was perfectly single. That was his choice. The Apostle Paul, great teacher of the New Testament, believed that he had a special gift, literally, of singleness, and he will argue that everyone would be better off if they were like him. I'd say, well, you'd have a little problem with procreation, but, but, uh, but he's making a point. So what I want to do is suggest that through Jesus and Paul and their teaching, God is out to de-idolize marriage as the primary preferred state. Now, those of you that are married, you're feeling picked on, but you had two weeks, okay? God is out to de-idolize the idol we make of marriage and family life as not the only preferred state. Singleness is as well. Open your Bibles. Off we go. Chapter 22 of Matthew. Matthew chapter 22, verses 23 through 30. Open your Bible or turn it on or grab the one on the seat back or watch it on the screen. We'll give it to you in several different formats here. This is Jesus with some leaders who are trying to trip him up. Starting verse 23, chapter 22. That same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they're talking to Jesus, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for him. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and the third, right on down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then, Jesus, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since they were all married to her in this life? Jesus responds, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like angels in heaven. That's interesting. The Sadducees 
assuming that marriage is an eternal state, are wondering which one the wife would be married to if uh, there is a resurrection, et cetera, et cetera. And Jesus is inferring in his response, you don't get it at all, you guys. She's not going to be married to any of the seven. Why? Because in heaven, there is no marrying or giving in marriage. She'd be no one's wife. We are like angels. Or as Eugene Peterson said, we're beyond marriage. Power of God is beyond marriage. Now, some of you might struggle with this because you're so happy in your marriage. I get it. In Luke, when, when Jesus, the same story is, is given in Luke, Jesus also adds, uh, because people live eternally there. It's a different kind of estate. And the power of God can make more relationships deeper, more affection, more agape. I firmly believe that when I get to heaven or Marie gets to heaven, whichever of us gets there first, I know we're going to know each other. I'm going to love her more than I ever loved her here. My kids too. I'm going to love others that much as well. Because it's a new kind of estate in heaven. Um, I asked Marie after the first message how I did, and uh, she wrote several pages of notes. Uh, <laughs> no, she, but she, I said, honey, anything that I could have been clearer on, and she had written this, and I really like it, what, what she did here. She says, there's no marriage in heaven because there's no need. The marriage purpose is for this life on earth. In heaven, we are perfected and we are complete with God and other fellow believers. In other words, marriage is a temporary estate about this big in eternity with its own special purposes. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. Let's see what Paul has to say. Turn to your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, please. Almost the whole chapter is talking about singleness versus marriage, and you may want to read it more closely later. I can only do justice to a portion of it this morning. 1 Corinthians 7, and once you get there, go to verse 7, 8, and 9. Once again, they'll be on the screen for those who desire that. Paul starts, verse 7, I wish that you were all as I am. What is he? He's single. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. There are many people that are single for life that have the gift of singleness. There are many people who are single for life or become single because of being widowed or through divorce, and it's not a real chosen state for them and Paul's saying one has this another has that verse 8 now to the unmarried and the widows I say it's good for them to stay unmarried as I do but if they cannot control themselves they should marry for it's better to marry than to burn with passion okay that was me at age almost 27 
I was burning with passion. Now, burning with passion isn't just deep physical attraction and longing. It has to do with the whole of your soul wanting to link with some other soul in such a way that you could create your own Disney movie. That's what you want. And and, and I remember feeling, I was a single youth pastor over college career, uh, uh, young people, and I was only a year or two older than most of them, and, and then I saw these marriages in the church, and I, I just really, I did not have the gift, and I'm glad of that. Paul says, if you burn with passion, well, then you're probably one that would lean toward marriage, all right? Go down a little further. Chapter 7 and verse 17, he makes a second point. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as the Lord has called them. This is a different approach. Paul is literally saying, what has the Lord assigned you to? Live out your assignment. And this reminds us that when Jesus Christ is the leader of our lives, we bow to him in everything. Married or not married? If I am to be married, who? I am, I am committed to Jesus Christ's leadership in that. Some of you haven't become Christians yet because you're not ready to give over the control of your life to somebody else. I just want to say to you as kindly as I can, you can't truly become a Christ follower unless you'll follow Christ. In everything. And Paul's saying in this issue, which is so incredibly important to human beings, marriage or singleness, we bow to the leadership of our Lord. I was reading um, this week a wonderful comment by a woman named Paige Benton Brown. And she summed up this notion this way. I may meet someone and walk down the aisle in the next couple of years because God is so good to me. I may never have another date because God has been so good to me. Yielding to the leadership of God. The third point that Paul makes starts in verse 25, and you need to let me read a little longer now, 25 to 35. Listen closely. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it's good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Well, don't seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Then don't look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you from this. Now, it's all married people laughing right now. (laughs) Paul was spot on, wasn't he? I mean, as great as our marriage might be, Marie and I run in, we would figure we run in about the seven, eight category out of 10, but we'd still say there's a whole lot of mess going on. Yeah, Yeah. whole lot of mess that goes on there, and Paul says, I just would like to, you know, kind of save you from all these troubles. Now, verse 29. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. 
From now on, those who have wives should live as if they don't, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. I'd like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good. Not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, Paul says in this, he says things like this. He says, we're in a present crisis. Time is short. And then especially this line, verse 31. This world in its present form is passing away. And it'll pass away very quickly. Uh, there was persecution going on in the early church. There may have been famine in Corinth. We don't know. But to the apostle Paul, from the moment Jesus rose from the dead to the time when Jesus returns are the last days. And he wants us to make as much as we can of them. Our purpose is to share God's love, experience God's love, and persevere in a hard world. So there you go. A little bit from Jesus, a little bit from Paul. Now, I'd like to take the rest of the message and really tie it into three takeaways. And this is especially for single people, the never married, the formerly married. One, three reasons singles can flourish. The reason you can is because of a special family that is yours. Number two, the reason you can flourish is there's a special purpose for you. The reason you can flourish is there is a special romance for you. Family, purpose, romance. First of all, special family. Right back there in Genesis chapter 2, as I taught last week, God says it's not good for, for man to be alone. And it isn't. It's not good for anyone to be alone. We were made for relationships. Now, what you see start happening in the New Testament is that the new relationships are not primarily marriages. They're primarily brother and sisterhood in the family of God. In fact, the whole use of language switches, and it goes to what we call family language. We are asked to call God what? Father. Jesus says at age 12 to his mother and father who had been looking for him, he says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? He was in the temple. Uh, at another time, Jesus is teaching people that are becoming followers of his. And his mother and her brothers are outside, and there's a big crowd, and they send in a message to Jesus saying, your mother and your brothers are here, and they want to see you. And Jesus says this, anyone who does the will of God is my mother, is my brother, is my sister, 
It, it, it's a whole new fashioning of people that you're going to spend eternity with. And it's meant to be glorious, and it's meant to be good. It even impacts bloodline. Look at this text from Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then a couple verses after that in verse 15, for those of you that are taking notes, it, it, Paul says, what God really had in mind is the creating of one new humanity. I went past a church yesterday and, and it said this, the church isn't where you go, the church is who you are. A new family, a new bloodline based on the shed blood of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Marie and I did Ancestry.com because uh, uh, one of our kids bought it for us for Christmas. Any of you ever done that? And, or, you know, the 23 thing? Okay, well, we did it. I'm 2% Jewish. And I'm 1% Nigerian. I don't know where that comes from. And then I'm a whole bunch English, Scottish, and Scandinavian, which you would have presumed in, in looking at me. And that was really fun for a while. But it's kind of boring now. Why? I'm, I'm a part of a much more stunning bloodline than that, of brothers and sisters. And so this is why the church is meant to be a place where we not only come as 2,000 people on a Sunday morning, but it's where we start to meet lifelong brothers and sisters. Small groups, life groups is a great place for that to start to occur. You won't be as close to everyone in your life group as you will to one or two, but by the time you get to be my age, you will have a cadre of human beings who live near you and far away that you would die for and they will die for you and you know you're going to be forever together. It's the new humanity. And so I want to say to everyone that is single, God offers you the new humanity. Now I know we mess it up all the time, and uh, here's what it's supposed to look like. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. All the believers were one in their heart and in their mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. They shared literally everything they had. I, I get a note every week from John. John's last name is Eklund. He lives in Concord, California. I met him when he was 18 and I was 17. We went to a Coco's Pancake House for breakfast, and he called me the name Brother. He's not my brother, but he was the one that was teaching me about the new humanity. And 50 years later, I hear from him every week. He sends me little notes, texts. He's with me all through this thing that I'm dealing with. I'm closer to him now than I was 50 years ago, and I will be with him forever. He is my brother. You are my sister. This is the new humanity. And it can curb an awful lot of loneliness and lostness when you're feeling it as a single person, a special family. Sometimes we forget, and that's because whatever is majority dominates the worldview. So whether it's ethnicity, whatever the majority is of ethnicity kind of dominates even unconsciously the meta-narrative. Age, gender, 
Whatever's the majority dominates the minority without intending to. And in the church, because we're 75% adults who are married and 25% are single, we don't even know, those of us who are married, the kinds of things we do and say that cause our single brothers and sisters to maybe feel left out. We've got to work on that. I know it's not perfect, everybody. I know it. But my God promises it that it can be the best that it can be in this life. A special family. Secondly, a special purpose. Paul said it. The marriage divides our focus. <laughs> and he says we face many troubles in this life and he's trying to spare us from them. Our interests are divided when we're married. Um, but someone who is single is able to give full devotion to the Lord's affairs and be totally devoted in body and in spirit. I, I, I was with our financial advisor a couple of years ago, great young guy who helps Marie and I handle our uh, vast, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks David, you laughed, you should. Uh, yeah, so there wasn't a lot, but so we need to do the best we can with it is what it comes down to. But he's pretty young, and I don't know how he got off on this. He said, man, he says, it's just really hard to manage a marriage and manage a family. And since we're so much older than him, we go, hmm. And he says, he says, first it was just me, and then it was me and my wife, and now we have two kids. And he, and he said, here's his line he used, it's like I've got quadruple primary concerns in my life. And I wanted to say, just wait till your health starts to go and stuff like that. It's gonna get worse. But one of the things about not being attached to deep family bloodlines and such in your nuclear family is that you can be more focused on God. I have two dear friends who work with me at the Billy Graham Center. Bob was in, has been intentionally single from it for the, his whole life. Uh, friends, Bob Schuster knows more about the life of Billy Graham and 20th century evangelicalism than any human being on the planet. Why? First of all, God gave him an immense mind. Second of all, he was able to start these archives. And third, he is not bound by other commitments that others have. His impact is immense, even though he's a behind-the-scenes guy. Secondly, my friend Diane. Diane is single, twice widowed. Twice widowed. But now more than ever focused on missions and at the Billy Graham Center she was my director over the Billy Graham Center scholarship program tremendous amount of funds were given by some rich Christians to help educate young men and women from Asia and Africa and Latin America who are far from God Diane is considered their mother many of them would say that to me especially the African young men we are so thankful for our mother Diane who helped us come here. We are so thankful for Diane. When I travel the world and I meet some of these people now, they're always saying, how is Mother Diane? Because she was able to give her full focus to raising up generations of Christian leaders by helping them get education at Wheaton College. She wouldn't have been able to do that apart from the singleness which she didn't choose but which still came upon her. So it's special purpose. Third, special family, special purpose, and a special romance. 
But do you know where I'm going with this one? It's, it's just learning how deep your love for God can become and how much you can experience his presence in your own life. Tim Keller says this, even the best marriage cannot by itself fill the void that's in our souls. Why? Because you were made for God. And this life is only this much of eternity. And you are made to be in communion and family with God himself. And nothing else will satisfy. All earthly loves are but a picture of the real thing. And a picture is not as good as the real thing. I'll prove it to you. This is my granddaughter, Aubrey. And this picture sits on, in our family room, in the room we sit in most of the time, and I get to look at my two-year-old Aubrey whenever I want to. I really like this. But you know what I like more? I like it when Aubrey comes over every Friday afternoon for four hours. And we play hide-and-seek together for four hours. <laughs> And she'll hide about a chair and then she'll look out at me. It's a whole lot better being with her than it is looking at the picture. Everything in this world is a picture compared to the real thing that awaits you. Everything. No more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. Every relationship whole and complete and pure. And love moves back and forth independently, so much so that the estate of marriage is no longer required. It's the real thing. Single people can be better focused on the love relationship with God than those of us that are torn by so many other things. Oh, hear these verses. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for all who revere him. Oh, hear this verse from King David. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, your love is better than life itself. Some of us have touched the edge of that. Every once in a while we step in. It's our primary purpose in life, to know and love him. We need to break away from the pathology of both singleness and marriage. Here's what I mean. Let me just be absolutely straight with you. Marriage is hard, intended to make you holy, and sometimes happy. Okay? Singleness is hard, is intended to make you holy, and is sometimes happy. That's the way it is in this world. But the new world is coming. How great is God's love? Romeo and Juliet decided that they would rather die than not be together. Jesus Christ decided he'd rather die 
than not be with you forever. And so God himself takes the weight of the sins of the whole world on himself and dies in a love act that can't ever be approximated by anyone else. That we might know him and love him and be with him forever. Do you know this Christ? If you don't, come down even today with our prayer people. Say to them, I want to know Christ and follow him. They'll offer you that prayer. To the rest of you who already know this, start living in it. It takes daily dedication. But thy loving kindness is better than life. Thy loving kindness is better than life. His kindness, his love. Lord, guide thy people to love you beyond all things and then enjoy their earthly loves. Amen and amen.